everybody. This is Heidi Bennett of Vibrant Visionaries Podcast and Spinal Tap Minute Podcast. And this is a quick little promo for an upcoming event that my co-host Sean and I wanted to tell you about. And it's Movies by Minutes Portland. Welcome to this promo, Sean. How are you doing over there? Fantastic. Uh, Thanks for having me. We're going to be meeting up in Portland, Oregon on Saturday, August 24th for live podcasting games. On the stage, we've got the Movies by Minutes guys from Star Wars Minute. Actually, it's going to be a mashup of Star Wars Minute and the Godfather Minute. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Yeah. And then uh, we're going to have the newly pod game. Rick from Mad Max Minute is going to be hosting that. Vibrant Visionaries, where I'm going to have the fellas from Open the Podcast Doors, Hal, (laughs) (laughs) which I think you could probably figure out which podcast that is. Yeah. Yeah. And then just added the cast and the furious. So lots of live podcasting and some games going on. So I wanted to ask you about the game that you're going to be a part of. Why don't you tell me more about the Cystic Fibrosis Fundraiser Movie Trivia Tournament? Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, trivia competition between teams of uh, movie podcasters and movie fans answering uh, trivia questions about movies. In Portland on that Saturday will be uh, the final round to name this year's champion. And this is all to raise funds for research into cystic fibrosis. The contestants can get hints from the audience for, um, I think it'll be 5 or $10 or something like that. Yeah. So just a little bit more about the event. It is actually the third year we've done this. We started by doing a Movies by Minutes in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Last year we went to Denver. This year we're in Portland. <laughs> <laughs> Tickets are $20. It's a family-friendly event, and it's really a social event. So we'll have a break for lunch. We'll have a beer and wine will be served, and um, and then lots of live podcasting and just opportunities to socialize and, and hang out with fellow listeners, hang out with other podcasters. If you're a podcaster out there in the Pacific Northwest, we'd love to have you come and, you know, mix, mingle and swag swap with us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's just a it's not just for the movies by minutes listener, but the podcast listener and fan alike. This is not it's not a a technical conference. If you've if you've ever been to a conference for work where everyone's talking about kind of the behind the scenes stuff and the nitty gritty There's certainly some of that. There will be experienced podcasters there. So if you're looking to get your own podcast off the ground and and you want to talk to some people and and get some input, there's that as well. But it's mainly for listeners. Listeners should, I think, would get the most out of it. See some, you know, see your favorite podcasts live on stage. And also there are a lot of folks that will be coming in from around the country and around the world the, the formal meeting itself that you need to buy a ticket to is just that Saturday, but we'll be around that whole weekend. I know a lot of the podcasters into board games. So if you're a big board game person, there's going to be informal gatherings of people playing board games. If, if you're into pinball and arcade games, I've been scouting out arcades in the Portland area, and there's a few that are not too far from the theater. So I'm sure there's going to be some pinball and video game uh, playing going on that weekend as well. So it really is a a whole weekend of uh, fun and events for, again, for podcasters, for listeners, for folks that just love to talk about movies. Sweet. We should tell the fine folks where they can get tickets. Go to moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland. That's moviesbyminutes.com slash Portland to buy tickets. Again, tickets are 20 bucks. 
Listeners, we look forward to seeing you there. All right. See you in Portland. Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries with Heidi Bennett. I've got a awesome new guest today, new friend and fellow lady pod squatter, podcaster extraordinaire, Kate Armstrong. Welcome, Kate. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's very exciting to have you. I haven't really mentioned the Lady Pod Squad before, but it's a online and in-person community of women and female identified podcasters. And that's how I first came across your excellent podcast, The Exploress. How did you find out about the Lady Pod Squad? On Twitter, I was um, I was seeing the hashtag all around the place. And I thought it was a pretty cute name, Lady Pod Squad. I thought, what's what's that all about? And so I, I messaged to see if they would let me in and they did. And it's just been an amazing and welcoming community to suddenly find yourself online with all these people who are doing what you're doing. And, you know, they're all independent podcasters just trying to figure it all out. So it's it's been a great place to find some voiceover artists to contribute to my my show and to find people who can answer questions. I, I just feel like with podcasting, I'm still new to it and still learning. And I always feel like I'm shooting in the dark a bit. So it's great to know there are other people doing what you're doing and who are enthusiastic to support what you're doing. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well put. I don't recall. I think it was through Twitter as well for me. And yeah, I feel like I've just got sisters that are that have my back and I'm in the Slack channel. And so we're sharing um, tidbits and frustrations and triumphs. I'm actually even getting together with a couple of the ladies here in the Bay Area of California. So I'm excited. We're going to hang out with some some of the gals this weekend. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. And it's I love finding especially independent podcasts. I mean, it, as you know, it can be hard to build an audience and to find people who are excited about what you're doing. So it's been a great place to both discover podcasts I had never heard of and to support podcasts that are being promoted and created by women is, you know, seeing as my podcast is all about women's history, I really love to support other women who are podcasting. So it's been a great place to just find a plethora of stuff to listen to. It almost makes me miss my my regular commute. I don't have as much time as I used to to listen, but. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. It's been really wonderful to listen. And that's how I found you. So let's segue into talking about your podcast, which I instantly became a Patreon patron of and just absolutely fell in love with. And my husband loves it too. So let's talk about the Explores. How did it come about? And um, how is it going for you? Well, um, I've been listening to podcasts for several years. I've always loved the form. I mean, really, I've spent my entire adult life juggling three different things. One, I'm an editor. I edit beautiful coffee table books about travel and adventure and cookbooks and all sorts of stuff, which I love. I love helping other people shape their stories into something beautiful that they can share with other people. I write. So I write my scripts for the podcast. I write for nonfiction books and I write young adult novels, which I also love. And I'm a teacher. For several years, I was a high school teacher, which was one of the most rewarding jobs I've ever had, but also the most difficult. I'm always trying to juggle those three things. They all take up a lot of creative energy and a lot of time. I always find that it's really difficult to 
craft a life where I get to do all three of those in balance with each other. But I'm always trying. I'm always chasing it. So I don't teach as much anymore. I a couple of years ago, I went completely freelance with my writing and editing which has been great on a lot of levels. It gives me the flexibility to write when I want, when it suits me, and to work on all sorts of really cool projects. But I found that in spending so much time at home by myself and so much time on editing that I was really missing teaching. I was missing the very particular kind of performativity and the energy that you bring to a classroom and missing those interactions with my students. I've always felt very called to teaching. Hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot. I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I've always loved history and particularly hearing stories about women in history because I just feel like there's so many stories that we never learn about in school. And as an adult, just being interested, I started looking around and just finding these crazy stories everywhere and thinking, how did I not know about this? How was this never on my radar that these things happened? I started looking for podcasts specifically about women's history. I already listened to a lot of history podcasts by men, Mike Duncan and uh, who else, Dan Carlin and his Hardcore History, which are all great, but I just really wanted to hear from women. I wanted to hear women's voices and some women's stories. So I found one of my favorite, favorite podcasts called The History Chicks and you know, over the course of a couple months listened to many, many hours of them telling me stories. And I found myself just loving that and loving the biographies and the beautiful pictures they create about women, but also thinking to myself, what was life like for these women in their time period? I felt like I was learning about them in a bit of a vacuum. I had all these questions about, you know, what kind of underwear were they wearing? What kind of cosmetics were they using? What was walking down the street like? What is the context in which these women are achieving these incredible things, but also what was life like for not just particularly extraordinary and unique women, but what was life like for everyday women? A few years ago for my birthday, I went, I was in New York City with my husband and a dear friend of mine. And for my birthday, we went to this show called Sleep No More, which is, it's theater, but it's this incredibly immersive theater experience where you go into this building that they've turned into almost like a, a live choose your own adventure and you wander around on through this building, several floors of this building, which they've turned into like this creepy old hotel. And the actors dance and act around you and interact with the audience. And you are a part of the show in this really incredible way. And I have this vivid memory at the end. You walk out into what looks like this 1920s prohibition style speakeasy bar. And there's this amazing woman up on stage. Everyone's in full costume. Everything, just all the details down to the glasses, the drinks, the the smell in the air, everything. It just feels like you step back through time into the 1920s. Cool. I just had the biggest smile on my face and I felt so alive and so excited by it all to feel like this is what it would have been like, perhaps. This is what it would have felt like to just be someone in a 1920s New York speakeasy bar. And I loved that feeling so much. When I went to create the Explorers, I wanted to try at least to recreate that feeling of time travel, to create something that was based in storytelling, but that was immersive and that helped to paint a picture of what would it have been like if we could travel back through time now to a particular time and place, what would it be like to be a woman in that time? It's so much easier to appreciate the stories of famous women like Clara Barton, say, 
when we understand her world and understand what she was up against, but also just, you know, what was she wearing? How many layers of clothing was she wearing? What was her world like? And I love that. I'm endlessly fascinated by that. So yeah, the podcast gave, gave me a chance to channel my high school teacherness. <laughs> Everything that I love about teaching without the audience right there in front of me, I got to channel and it was a new type of storytelling for me. I wanted to challenge myself to write something new and deliver it in a whole new way. Well, it's quite a success. And I'm sure people are already interested just hearing that description. And, and I agree, it's quite immersive. You've been very effective with that. I mean, to me, this is the way to learn. You're teaching by hearing stories that are very interesting, but you're weaving facts through them, but they're facts that you're interested in. And so they kind of stick with you a little bit more. And because we're hearing music and we're hearing different voices... When I grew up, I had a few teachers that I really connected with, and then quite a few, especially history teachers, that I felt like they weren't interested anymore in mm -hmm. teaching, or maybe they never were, but they were less than engaging, let's put it that way. And so this feels like a real blessing. Um, this is a way I learn very well, having these voices in my ears and, and even going back and listening to an episode over again and really taking it all in. But also, I really enjoy that you infuse this with a little contemporary humor, you know, you throw in kind of your own voice every once in a while and interject with comments from current time. You really seem to care about giving a very balanced experience when you talk about subjects like living as a woman or feminism or, or the culture. It's not this black and white story. You're really taking the time to tell what was um, empowering, I recall, I believe, about uh, or protective about women, say, wearing a bustle or, or things like that, that I thought were, um, you know, going on a deeper level about the female experience. Yeah. And that's what's so fascinating to me is the more I read about history and about women's history, it's so clear to me, both that past is present. We tend to think of something like 19th century America and the Victorian age is so separate from us, so different from us that they almost, those women almost feel like aliens to us in a way. But then when you really start to dig into it, I just found, of course they're not. They're just like us <laughs> in so many ways. Their world looked different, but it didn't look that different. I mean, a lot of the issues that they struggled with, we still struggle with. And that the landscape of that struggles a little bit different, but we have much more in common than we do different, but also realizing that their world, just like our world was not black and white. I mean, we're always reinterpreting history. I mean, it's very difficult to be objective in any way because just in telling a story, always we're giving a subjective view and we're interpreting what we've learned. That's a real compliment that you say that it sounds objective and like I'm trying to give a balanced view because I do try really hard because really this isn't about the show is not about my interpretation of the past although of course that's there it's about trying to immerse someone in that past and give them a glimpse into what it might have been like and then listeners can make 
come to their own conclusions about about what they think. And that's a great example that women in the 19th century were wearing very constricting clothing. And we tend to look back at something like the corset. And it's become for modern women, this symbol of a sexualized woman and a controlled woman and a contained woman. But, you know, you start to really think about what it was like for women of the time and look into it, and you realize it's just not that simple. Nothing is that simple. And these dresses allowed women to take up space and allowed them to claim space in a world where they weren't really supposed to have that much um, control in the public sphere. They were supposed to be private and, you know, the domestic sphere was their sphere. So to think of these clothing as giving these women some power and agency, just the ways that in which they used their clothes and their dresses and the their society's notions of them and what they should be. They manipulated them to do incredible things like female spies during the Civil War, for example, who were able to smuggle guns and quinine and these really incredible things under their skirts and not be questioned or searched because men were too embarrassed to challenge their modesty, essentially. And women twisted that and used that to their advantage in these incredible ways. So I just find it endlessly fascinating looking back and thinking through the many sides of every question and every issue to try to paint a picture that we don't get in history books, really, about what life might have been like if we'd been born in a different time. I'm so curious, um, whatever you feel willing to reveal or share behind the scenes, what goes into producing one of these episodes? Well, it all starts with a lot of research, a lot of reading. So I'll usually choose a couple of core books uh, that I think are going to give me a great foundation for a woman's life or a certain issue. And then I just let things unfold from there. Typically, there will be something in my primary sources that really sparks my interest or it'll lead me to another book or another article. I find that it just starts with a lot of questions. It's just like when I was a teacher, I used to say this to my students all the time, that really good stories ask interesting questions and then try to answer them. And writing my podcast episodes feels like that. I start with a question about, say, the American Civil War and the experience of being a soldier, because I had found out several years ago that there were actually women who fought in the Civil War disguised as men, which fascinated me so much. You know, I started with questions about, but, you know, what would that have been like? How did they hide their secret when they were living in close quarters with other men? And how did men respond when they found out that women were amongst them in this particular culture? And again, you know, the answers to those questions and in chasing those answers really surprised me. I start by creating an outline. So I let the research guide me to what I think are compelling questions. And then I start to fill in the details from there. I always try to create what feels like a story. It feels like a narrative. So that can be particularly hard when I'm not talking about one specific woman, but about a group of women or women who did a particular thing, I have to try to create a backbone narrative out of that. Usually what I try to do is create either something chronological that takes you through, say, a day in the life of a particular woman, or I have to try to kind of find that thread, that central thread that's going to hold everything together, because I never want it to feel like just a bunch of factoids. I want it to feel like a story with a beginning, middle and end. So I usually spend a lot of time trying to fill in those details that help to bring the story to life. So that's really what takes the longest is the research and then crafting the script. I'm a perfectionist about my scripts <laughs> and I want them to feel full and I want them to do the job of being both entertaining 
educational. And I love to try to make people laugh because like you said, I think if you want to teach someone, you need to be passionate and you need to be engaged, but it's always good to make people laugh and to try to create those bridges between our modern experience and the past. So I try to work those into the script, but often when I actually sit down to record, a lot of my jokes come to me in the moment. Mm -hmm. I find that it's hard to, for me anyway, it's hard for me to actually plan jokes in advance. And it was the same with teaching. You know, I, I never planned my agendas as a teacher. I never wrote them out. I just got up there and riffed and fed off my students. It's a little harder when it's just me sitting in front of my microphone to kind of react to my audience. But <laughs> I just try to say the things that really make me laugh and the connections that I make in my head in the moment about, oh, you know, that reminds me kind of like modern dating apps. That's basically the equivalent, the letter writing of old and what people used to say in letters was, you know, not dissimilar from what we do now with um, trying to contact people over dating apps. So, you know, I'll try to make a joke about that. I usually end up with about 20 pages of script for an hour long episode. And so then I sit down in my recording cave and I record. I try to sit down and do it all in one session, but I find because I'm not just talking, I'm really trying to perform. I never want to sound like I'm reading to you. I want it to feel like I'm telling you a story, but I'm performing it. So I find that after about an hour of that, my voice starts to give out. <laughs> <laughs> so I often have to step away and then come back to it the next day and finish, which has its pros and cons. I'd love in the future to get, I don't know, strength in my voice and getting better at doing it all at once. So I usually end up with about two, two and a half hours of audio. And then I sit down and cut it all together. And usually at that point, I've sent out requests for people to do voiceovers for me. I really, really love getting other people, other podcasters and my friends involved with the voiceovers. I just think it helps to bring the story to life, especially when we're talking about the primary quotes from men. I don't often like to do those myself because I just think it's nice to actually hear it in a, in a male voice. So mm -hmm. it's been a great excuse actually to reconnect with a lot of my old teacher friends and high school friends and just bringing their voice into my project is so lovely and such a cool way to reconnect with people who I care about and I think fun for them to immerse themselves in in a story like that so usually I do my initial cut of everything and then I drop in everybody's voiceovers and then I have to go hunting for music which always takes me way longer than I think it will <laughs> because I do I mean that also is important to me the music and to try to find royalty free music that I can use that suits the tone and suits the time period and doesn't override the narrative can be pretty tricky. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So once I've once I've done that, that's usually the last thing I do is drop the music in and give it a final listen. And then I'm done. And usually in the course of that, I type up my notes because I like to put transcripts up on my website because mm -hmm. I think as a teacher, it's the teacher in me really wants to give people that resource if they can't listen to the podcast or they're interested to circle back to it. I think it's really nice to have all that information on my website with tons of pictures. I'm very visual. I think that's the illustrated book editor in me. I love having lots of images to go with every podcast. So I spend some time doing that so I can put that on my social media and then, and then I'm done. So I'm, I'm getting better at it. I hope the process is getting faster as I go, but the research and the script scripting definitely take the most time. Yeah, I'm a very visual person as well. So I really, I'm enjoying those uh, really nicely composed images. Yeah, what you're doing, it takes, 
you know, a lot of work and a lot of different creative sparks and skill. And so you are the editor as well then? Oh, yes. It's all a one woman band over here. <laughs> uh, my delightful husband helps me with some of it. Uh, he doesn't do any of the cutting, but he put together my theme song for me and he made my all the artwork and he helps me with the website. It, it's very handy to have another creative type whose skill set is different than yours. <laughs> Absolutely. That's very similar with my husband, too. He kind of uh, does very similar stuff. Yes. He's been the, the website designer. And it's really great to have a somebody around that can help you, like you said, with a different skill set, but then to also really put your stamp on this piece of art. You know, I, I feel like each one of your episodes is an art piece. And so thank you. Thanks for putting all of that into it. It, it really shows. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I don't like to do anything halfway, <laughs> no matter what creative endeavor I'm working on. I don't like to do things halfway. So I throw a lot of myself into these episodes. And it just thrills me when people who, especially people who don't identify as people who are that interested in history. And they say to me, you know, I don't love history, but I love your podcast. And oh, I was <laughs> I was listening to it when I went for a run the other day and you made a joke and it made me I had to stop and I laughed out loud, you know, and people <laughs> were staring at me. I just love that. I love I just I want people to lean forward in their seats. That's what I'm always striving for. Whether you think you're going to be interested in this particular thing or not, I want to get you interested. I want to make you feel immersed in it. I'm always trying to create a good story and weave this tapestry out of all of these different facts and figures and things. It feels alive as you listen to it. I can see where what you do and the values that you put behind it really reflect that. Like you value educating through storytelling, and then you value the quality, you know, putting it all together thoughtfully, and uh, with such care, and then injecting it with humor, which I align with all of those very much. I feel like that's how we have a joyous, creative life and life in general is to always you know, be able to laugh at things. And then also to recognize that there's a certain amount of planning that you do beforehand, but then also there's going to be things that are just, you're not going to be able to pre-write this joke. You're just going to start talking and see what comes out organically. So it's this real balance of planning and then letting um, your intuition and your creativity just sort of bubble up. You're leading by a great example of a lot of things that I really value in the way that you're teaching and sharing. So Thank you. I hope this doesn't sound like I'm just like, and then here's another bunch of things I love. <laughs> but I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of processing as I talk with you about what makes it all work. Yeah. And it's great to hear you say, because I don't know if this is how you feel about it. But often when you're producing something yourself, you think, I don't know, is this funny? Does this work? Are the things that resonating with me resonating with other people? And I think that's all you can do is say, does this touch me? Does this create a spark in me. And hopefully, if it feels authentic and entertaining to me, it will to other people. So it always thrills me to hear from other people. Yes, <laughs> it does do those things for me. When you get up in front of a bunch of ninth graders, and you have to teach them Macbeth, which is really difficult for many adults to really understand and appreciate, let alone someone who's 14. And perhaps you know, they're reading, they're not reading at the highest level anyway. You know, you you head into that classroom 
and they're all looking at you already having judged the material and you have to find a way to get them excited. I used to, I used to walk in there and just have to hype them up and say, you guys, you will not believe what is about to happen in this play. It is crazy. (laughs) You know, comparing it to their experience, finding ways to infuse it all with my own passion, but to open it up, to crack open that play for them and have them go, oh yeah, you're right. This is pretty cool. That is crazy what Macbeth just did. This isn't so distant from us. This is something that we can inject with our own points of view and kind of argue about. And they really taught me in working with them and working with students and trying to find ways to get them passionate about difficult material. It taught me so much about what storytelling can do when it's good and how to frame stories in a way that invites people in. So now that you are fully immersed in this podcasting world as a podcaster and a podcast producer and a podcast editor and a podcast promoter and a podcast host and actor, (laughs) how is this working with your other uh, freelance? How is your life now kind of balancing all these? Um, the podcast really gives me an outlet to write nonfiction in a way that I'm not as much in my day work. So often when I'm working on an illustrated book project, I'm helping to shape other people's words and helping to tell other people's stories. And so the podcast, I'm still telling other people's stories, but I'm getting to do it my way. And so it's a nice balance you wake up in the morning and you've got a clean slate. You've got energy. It's the beginning of the day. All the stressors of the day haven't really come in yet. I use those few hours to work on my writing, whether that's my fiction writing or my podcast writing. I love working from home because it gives me that flexibility to just head straight up to my at-home office and just get right into my work, no matter what it is. And then I spend a lot of the rest of the day on my editing projects. And usually in the afternoon, I'll do some recording or editing a podcast or whatever I need to do. So it's tricky because I I get so sick of sitting in front of the computer screen. It's like the great bane of my current existence that so much of what I love to do also has me sitting in front of a screen. And I love hiking. I love being outside. And that's where I get a lot of my ideas. So I'm always trying to balance those two things and step away from the screen and go for a go for a walk or go for a run or, you know, whatever, go to the go to the beach when I can. Yeah, I um, I took a long walk with my friend and her dog and me and my dog. And we went and, you know, chased some squirrels and looked at some geese and <laughs> got out into the sunshine. And oh my gosh, it was so invigorating. And I didn't do any editing yesterday at all. And it felt so good. And I know that ultimately to take those breaks does really inspire the work and help you feel refreshed and motivated. And mm-hmm. and so I know it's good for me. And I know it's something I teach my um, multi-creative clients is it's not selfish to do it. It's part of your business plan, whatever your creative business should always include your self-care, your physical well-being, spiritual well-being, all that stuff, and that it actually supports your business. It's not taking away, it's adding to it. That's right. It's so easy to forget that, though, isn't it? I think when you, especially when you're caught up in something that you feel passionate about and that it's your project. I do it all the time. I I know how important it is to top up the well, to just step away from a project sometimes and let it breathe and give yourself some time doing something else. But I still, there are days when I'll power through all day in front of the screen 
and get to 5 p.m. and think, why do I feel so tired? Or why am I not able to solve this problem with the script I'm writing? Or <laughs> I find especially when I'm writing, I mean, this is true of the podcast too, but when I'm writing my fiction, sometimes I just hit a wall. And instead of powering through sometimes, I think that's always our instinct. You know, that's what we've been taught is you just, you commit to something mm -hmm. and you power through until, until it's done. But when I do that, things always end in tears. You know, I always end up going down an unproductive road or produce something that, you know, it's not really worth the time I put into it. So you just sometimes have to know I'm hitting the wall and that means it's time to step away and just go for a walk or go hang out with a friend for a few hours and refuel and come back to it. I think pacing yourself over the long haul with creative projects and not saying it's all about the end result and saying instead, this is all just a continual journey. It never ends. It's never going to end. There's always something else we're creating. Right. And so we need to, you know, take breaks and refuel. It's so important, but it's easy to forget. Absolutely. I know that you're originally from the States, but you're not living in the States. Can you tell a little bit about where you live and how you got there? Sure. I live in Melbourne, Australia, which is a delightful city in Southern Australia filled with many good coffee shops and people wearing black. <laughs> I'm originally from outside of Washington, D.C. I grew up around D.C. and in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. I remember very poignantly when I was a teenager, just wanting to travel a lot, just wanting to get out and see things and thinking, there's so much more than this and I want to see what it is. So it was actually after I graduated from college, I wanted to go to grad school. I didn't get into any of my grad schools of choice and I was feeling a bit lost. And I went and met up with two of my favorite high school teachers, an English teacher and a history teacher. I caught up with them and had a beer because they promised me when I graduated college, we could all have a beer together. It was all very exciting. <laughs> and I told them, I just don't know what I want to do. And they both looked at me and said, buy a backpack and go to Europe. And, you know, as an American, I think now that I'm in Australia, that's just a rite of passage for Australian kids. They all do it. I didn't know anyone who had done it. And it felt so revolutionary to me. And I said, what do you mean by myself? And they said, yes, by yourself. You don't need a friend. Grab a backpack and go. And that trip changed my life in so many ways. It opened my eyes to the joys of traveling, but also traveling on my own. You know, I was 23 and I was terrified of, you know, how do I get to the hostel by myself? And this was before I had, I had no cell phone. You know, I couldn't just look it up on my iPhone. And I'm, I look back on that now and think I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't have that crutch. I couldn't just call home when I felt lonely. Um, I had to figure it out and I had to try to meet people and just be open to the experience. And so I was in Switzerland and I met a man in my hostel uh, with an Australian accent. The first time I met him, he was having a conversation with someone about Einstein's theory of relativity, which is not something you hear a lot around the hostel table. <laughs> so I, I joined in. I had nothing to contribute, but I joined in and pretended that I did. And we had an amazing traveling romance for a few weeks. And then he went home to Australia and I continued traveling. And a few weeks later, we were still in touch and emailing. And I said to him, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do for Christmas. I don't want to go home yet, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And he wrote me back and said, come to Australia for Christmas. I'll buy you a ticket tomorrow. Nice. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought, OK. And it was it was just an adventure. It was an incredible adventure with a person who I thought was just a wonderful and who I wanted to spend more time with. I remember calling my mom that night and saying, is this a good idea to get on a plane to go see this this man I've only known for two weeks? And to her credit, she just asked me, is he a good man? Is he a good person? And I said, yes. 
And she said, okay, go, go and have an adventure. <laughs> I'll see you later. I'll see you when, whenever you run out of money, I'll see you. So yeah, so I, I, I ended up spending three months in Australia and we fell in love. And then it sort of went from there. I, I ended up going back to the States for a while and then going back to Australia up in Brisbane in the north to get my grad degree in journalism. And we've been basically bouncing back and forth between here in the States ever since. So when we got married a few years ago, we decided to try living down here in Melbourne because I'd always loved the city. And yeah, we've created a life for ourselves down here. I love living in another country. At least once in your life, I would tell everyone that they should try to live in another country, even if it's just for a few months. It makes you, it opens your eyes to your environment. And it taught me a lot about my own cultural context and you know, how I am as an American in the world. I think it's, you know, it's been years since we moved here and I still have moments where I think, huh, that's interesting. I feel like that's the American in me. That's my culture showing. And it makes me appreciate just what's around me. I always feel like I'm a bit of a traveler and I like it that way. I like feeling like I'm always looking at my environment with a traveler's eye and what haven't I seen yet and what can I marvel at? I think that's part of the reason why I started the Explorers by traveling back to America to the 19th century, because I wanted to look at America and, and my history with fresh eyes. And it's made me so much more passionate about America and to feel like I understand it a little more in a way. That's just lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I think we'll wrap things up. I just really enjoyed hearing more about the process of the podcast. It's been a ride so far, so I'm looking forward to seeing where it all goes. Where can people find the podcast and anything else that's that your, are your projects that you'd like to share? Well, you can find the Explores wherever you listen to podcasts. So on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and uh, Spotify and all over the place. Or you can go to my website, theexploresspodcast.com. You can stream the episodes from there and find transcripts. And I have a professional website devoted to my editing work at katejarmstrong.com. Cool. And as always, you can find me at vibrantvisionaries.com. We'll see everybody back here next time. Mm -hmm.